Good morning, everyone. Uh, We are going to read a passage today about being salt and light. And being salt and light is not primarily about our actions and what we do, but rather it's about whose presence we choose to be in. Welcome to One Life. My name is Dan. As Rich mentioned, I'm on the board here. Um, Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, If you're listening to the live stream or the podcast, uh, thanks for being with us as well. And if you don't mind, I'd like to uh, pray a little bit before we get started. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives, for your presence here this morning and your presence in our world. God, your glory your beauty, your holiness, your righteousness are overwhelming. God, as we glimpse at who you are, how you lived your life among us, how you're calling us to live, God, we, we want to be a part of that. So God, we thank you for your mercy, your love, your grace, your kindness, your patience. We worship you. We continue to worship you this morning. God, I ask that you would help us to hear from you this morning, help us to hear your words, help us to um, reflect on things that are being said. God, I ask that you would use uh, my voice, use my thoughts, whatever you've given me in the past to uh, speak this morning and help me through my nervousness and all that stuff. Thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, <clears throat> the past few weeks, we've been walking through uh, probably one of the most famous teachings of Jesus, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we, we just finished going through what's called the Beatitudes. And if anyone can, like, tell me, like, just one or two things that were said, like, blessed are the meek, those who mourn, poor in spirit, peacemakers, those kinds of things, um, Jesus has just pronounced that those people are blessed. And it's not really the ones that we might expect. And importantly, they're the ones that are going to be involved in bringing healing to this world. As one author puts it, there's a quote you can put on the wall here. When God wants to sort out the world, As the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount make clear, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the meek, the broken, the justice-hungry, the peacemakers, the pure-hearted, and so on. So today, we are picking up on what it means to be blessed by God. When we hear the word blessed or blessing today, we may not hear much, but for the people listening to Jesus, there was something very meaningful about this and very deep and possibly confusing. The people that were considered blessed by God in their day were the rich, those in positions of authority, but more importantly, it was the law. It was the prophets. It was the temple. It was the Torah those that taught about those things, those were the people that brought in God's blessing to the world. 
their understanding was that God was going to use those kinds of people and those things to bring blessing to everyone, not them. And I think that could have been a little bit confusing, been a, bit, a little bit confusing for them. But here in our passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus says to this hodgepodge group of people, this diverse group of people, and you can put it up here, you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So here we have this group of people that are gathered around Jesus and the very first step that they have taken is really important, and I think we can kind of brush by it really quickly. And it's simply that they have chosen to be with Jesus. They have chosen to follow him. <clears throat> there are various reasons why. At the time, they could have been just intrigued by him, but he has just made an incredible announcement and done some pretty amazing things. He's actually been healing people and telling them that because he's here, the kingdom of God is present. So they've chosen to follow him. They believe that um, he has something to say that is worth hearing. And as we see in our passage this morning, Jesus believes that the people who are following him will be salt and light to the world. But what does that mean? Jesus' announcement earlier was that the kingdom of God was at hand. In reality, in space and time, in history, right then, present with them, and it's all because he was there. It wasn't that it was coming in the future or some other person was coming. He was saying, I am here right now. The kingdom of God is here. He would say, repent, believe the good news. And repent, you know, when you hear it in America or kind of in modern times, like post-1700s basically, it's, it's kind of a caustic, we hear it in a very aggressive, angry way. And all it really means is change your mind. So Jesus is telling the people that have chosen to follow him, whatever you think, change your mind. The good news is here. The purpose of this announcement was to declare the beginning of a new age and the end of the old age. The old age was corrupt. It was ruled by darkness, injustice, etc., and the root of all of this brokenness was creation's severed relationship with its creator. The rightful king was now present. And now he said, come follow me. Come be with me. I'm going to show you how I'm going to bring restoration and healing to this world. The crowds choosing to follow Jesus was the first step at joining in on Jesus' mission. And it would be a key step they took every day afterwards. The very nature of following the king is that you begin to participate in the things the king is doing. If Jesus is bringing healing in the midst of decay, then in choosing to follow him, you are going to bring healing. If Jesus is bringing light into the darkness, then following him, you are going to bring light to the world. This relationship was foundational to learning how to bring healing, restoration, and justice to the world. 
both like in our own hearts, but also outside in society. So I wanted to pause a little bit because what we're going to get into, I think, is a little bit, um, can be difficult to think about, or not controversial necessarily, but you'll understand what I'm, why I'm saying that in a second. So whether we are religious or not, we all have a way that we think we should live, right? Like, whatever it is, we think, you know, we should be nice to people or uh, we should wear nice clothes or we should take care of the poor or we should, you know, whatever it is we have, whether it's understood or not, there are things that we do that we understand is like, this is the way a person should live or people around us should live. We want to know what is right because we want to behave well and we want others to be nice too. And when it comes to Christianity, particularly here in America, there are different understandings of what it means to be a Christian, but chief among them is this belief that being a Christian simply means taking on a new set of rules to live by. Does anyone get that? Like we hear that, we see that in our own lives. You know, years ago, I used to live in Bellingham, and a guy challenged us to go out and ask people, like, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian, or how does one become a Christian? And everything was about, oh, you go to church, um, you know, you vote a particular way, or you're nice to people, you're a good person. Where I grew up in the South, it was about being a good Southern gentleman. You know, you open doors for people, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. You, you're, you're courteous. You're respectful. That was what it meant to be a Christian. <clears throat> and I want to challenge that today. And it's not really me that wants to challenge that. It's Jesus in this passage. Shalee was here uh, last week, and she mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not primarily telling this group of people what they need to do but more asking who they want to belong to, who they want to follow, and what it's going to be like as they follow that person. There is a subtle difference there, and I hope you can pick up on it, and I think it's really critical. And uh, we'll get to some of that soon. Belonging to and following Jesus, walking with him, being with him daily is this foundational step. And it's the first step. The outcome of belonging to Jesus is that we will be salt and light. Of course, a loyalty to him uh, and his ways will mean learning new things. And there will be change in how we live. But the change will be more from attaching ourselves to Jesus. Wanting to become more like him in his ways of healing and restoring the world. Rather than attaching ourselves to some new moral code or a standard to live by. So let's say I have a principle that if someone is rude to me, I'm not going to talk to them anymore. We all may live like that. We may know people that live like that. You kind of get fed up with someone and they're like, I just, I'm not going to interact with you because you're totally rude to me. (laughs) So let's say one day I'm reading a book, self-help book, for example, or I hear someone on TV talk about, well, maybe we need to broaden our perspective. Maybe that person was rude because they were going through a really hard time that day. And we should still be kind to them. And that's a good thing, right? 
So I take this principle and I think, you know what, I'm going to start living that way. I'm going to be kind to them because they may be going through a hard day and I just need to keep being kind with them. Um, I take this new principle, I start applying it to my life, and I start to realize that, hey, sometimes I'm really good at this and other times I'm terrible at it. And sometimes when I'm really good at it, as I do it more, I start to become like more honest with myself that actually inside I am just really annoyed by this person and I don't want to be kind to them, but I just got to live by this principle, but I really don't want to. And I, it kind of stinks. Like you kind of get in this feeling of like guilt. In contrast, let's say I'm in the same situation and I believe, you know what? This person's rude to me. I'm not going to be nice to them. And this person comes up to me and says, hey, this might sound crazy, but our world's really messed up, and so are you. I know how to heal you, and I know how to heal this world. It's kind of a risk, I know, but I'd like you to trust me. If you follow me around, I'm going to show you how I love people and begin to bring healing into this world. In fact, there are going to be times where you think I'm crazy for loving the people that I love. But the more you hang out with me, the more you're going to learn what it means to love. In fact, we're going to become so close that the times where you felt like you didn't really being, like being kind to people, you're actually going to start like being changed on the inside. I'm going to restore your heart so you can love people well. You're going to make mistakes, but it's okay. Keep asking me for help as you continue doing these things you see me doing. <clears throat> This sounds interesting because I'm attaching myself not to a principle, but I'm attaching myself to a person. I'm attaching myself to learn from this person. And I was hoping like maybe that would help distinguish like the difference between the two. So if choosing to be loyal to Jesus and to trust his leading on how we should bring healing and restoration into this world is what makes us the salt of the earth, then what is it that makes us lose our saltiness? Like, first of all, I don't know, for, I don't know, years. I have always wondered, like, that is the most weird statement. Salt can't lose saltiness. It's just salt. <laughs> it's a compound. It's, that's all it is. But um, uh, so apparently back in Jesus' day, they didn't have, like, Trader Joe's. Weird. Um, you, you couldn't go in there and buy a bottle of salt. Um, so their salt had salt, but it was also had dust and dirt in it, you know, and so um, basically what he's saying is that when that salt <laughs> loses its saltiness, it's basically road dust, and it's completely worthless. So that's what it means to lose salt, right? Or, so what does it mean for us to lose our saltiness? I think Mark was saying this in response to my question, but basically if Jesus is saying being loyal to me is what makes you salty and doing things the way that I am describing to you and how it means or what it looks like to be salty. If, you, if we start doing things that are different than that, that's how we lose our saltiness. It simply means we choose to not trust him and instead do or say things that don't line up with him and how he is bringing restoration and healing in this world. So, that 
that implies a lot of trust if we start to think about that. I like how one scholar put this. He said, the salt of the earth is where God is, where the justice of his kingdom is lived out and the powers of his kingdom promote life and growth. And especially this part. He says, God himself is the creative spirit who overcomes corruption, the living one who awakens the dead. He is the God of miracles who can bring forth new birth out of corruption and degeneration replacing nausea and disgust with joy and well-being. So, if we then ignore him in his presence and what he's doing and how, he, and how he's doing it, we lose our saltiness. This may be in our political discussions with friends and family. This may be in how we confront evil and injustice in our world. It may be also in how we confront problems in our own heart how we confront things that we think are issues and the people around us. The challenge of Jesus is, are we going to lose our saltiness? <clears throat> so, Jesus goes on to say that his followers are not meant to see their choice to follow him as a private thing, precisely because Jesus himself, the one that we've chosen to follow, is out walking amongst us. He's out doing things. He's out there healing. He's out there bringing forgiveness, etc. Following him will mean nothing less for this group of people that have chosen to follow him, and I would think the same for us. There's a um, German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was known for speaking against the Nazi regime in World War II, and there was a cost to him speaking up against the Nazis. And um, he said, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. He understood that there was a cost to following Jesus because it is a very public life. It is a very public matter to be walking with the king who claims he is bringing restoration and healing to the world. It's precisely the public side of following Jesus that is both healing and confrontational for those around us. As the Apostle Paul put it in Corinthians, he said, to some we are the aroma of life, but to others we are the aroma of death. And if we look at the life of Jesus, who it is that sees Jesus and his followers as the aroma of life and death, or death, it, it might shock us, it might surprise us. Some hear the public nature of faith and they hear something like, overturn the corrupt government, you know, take back the land, purify what's been corrupted, you know, and that was back then. We hear similar voices today, but the nature of Jesus' mission is different. Again, like Jesus just said, if we lose our saltiness, what good is it? We cannot forget this. I cannot help to wonder if those whom Jesus is talking to might have begun to think that they had some kind of higher ground. Here they are, not religious. They're not the teachers of the law. They are not well-versed in Torah and that kind of stuff. And he's saying, hey, you are the salt and the light of the world. 
I cannot help but wonder if they were like, whoa, we don't need all that stuff? That's awesome. Like, yes, <laughs> they, you've come to lift this burden up and we don't have to live by those things. And I wonder if that's why Jesus goes on to say what, what he says next. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Dang. What's happening? <laughs> Jesus, you just said I was the salt of the earth and I didn't need all that. What are you saying? Earlier I mentioned, again, the law, the prophets, Torah, teachers of the law, those were the people that were believed to be the ones that were going to bring God's blessing. And Jesus is saying to the crowds, you, by yourself, by following me, you are the salt and light of this world. But don't think that means you can just do whatever you want. There's a ton of stuff to unpack in just the first statement alone where Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And we can't take all the time to unpack that. But basically what Jesus is saying is that everything that the people around him have been longing for, he's doing right then, right there. He is fulfilling the law and the prophets. <clears throat> everything that they've hoped for from being like freed from their oppressors and all that kind of stuff, Jesus is bringing into their midst. That's what he's saying. This was and is wonderful news to them. And as we've mentioned earlier, Jesus bringing restoration means something is wrong with our world and with our choices and how we live with one another and with God in this world. Jesus bringing the ways of God's kingdom in public was and is sometimes a threat to the way we think about things, the way we, things, the way we think things ought to be done and honestly, I think it's because we think we know what is right and we want to see the results our way. When he was walking around with his followers, Jesus was living his life in full display before all the rulers, before all those in political and religious authority, before the people, the common people, before the sick, the criminals, the oppressed, the weak, the outcast, showing all of them that the way to bring healing, goodness, and restoration is not always what they think. And this is righteousness. In short, what Jesus is saying in our passage is that if we follow him and live the way he's lived, we will be living righteously. Living the way Jesus lived is not easy. And in the coming weeks, as Rich mentioned, today is kind of a I think of like when you're doing woodwork, you have like a dovetail and it kind of like comes in like this and it kind of connects really well over here but also leads to another piece. Um, that's what this sermon is about. It's basically saying 
these people are blessed, these types of people, and now this is what bringing blessing to the world is going to be like, and he's going to get into what righteousness looks like, and he's going to say, you've heard it said this, but I tell you something else. I'm sure there, have been people, there were people in the crowds that began to taper off at this point because he said, you know, your righteousness has to surpass the, that of the Pharisees. And they're like, what? These are people that are rigorously like trying to uphold the law, and you're saying I have to be better than them? This is incredibly hard, and this is, it is difficult. Um, but it's not about, again, I really want to emphasize this, it's not about attaching ourselves to a new moral code. Jesus isn't saying, your righteousness, your adhering to the law, I'm going to give you a new law, and you have to adhere to that. He's not saying that. He's saying, as you follow me, as you do the things I'm doing, your righteousness will surpass that of the Pharisees. So I'm going to close out, which might be kind of quick, but hey, a short sermon. Just kidding. Um, in conclusion, so in the beginning of, this, of my sermon, I made the statement, being salt and light is not primarily about our actions and what we do, but rather about who we choose to belong to. And I want to unpack that a little bit in some practical things. After hearing that our righteousness must surpass that of um, people who rigorously follow the law, it may seem like a contradiction. Like, isn't that about what we do? It's like, yes and no. While living the way that Jesus will describe in the next couple of chapters that we're going to look in the next few weeks is profoundly important. The, the basis, the context for all of that is a relationship. It's choosing to follow him. It's choosing to trust him. It's choosing to walk in his steps. Knowing that he's done exactly what he's described in the Sermon on the Mount. So there are going to be points in the story of Jesus where you hear like how he has loved his enemies. How he has brought forgiveness to those that didn't deserve it. Or how he has walked the extra mile. How, all these kinds of things. Jesus has already lived in that. So we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story. We know that Jesus is crucified. We know that he is dead and buried, and after three days, he rises again. And that is showing his ultimate victory over the corruption of this world, the ways of this world. His victory wasn't in the tanks. It wasn't in military might or in asserting his authority over his enemies. His victory was in pouring himself out loving perfectly, forgiving those whom society had pushed out, and ultimately laying down his life. After being raised from the dead, Jesus tells his followers, if you want to put this up, it's in Matthew 28, the end of this book. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is him talking to his followers. So if you imagine he's lived a life with them, you think about what we've just talked about. You are the salt. You are the light of the world. If you continue to walk with me, if you continue in the things that I have taught you, if you continue doing justice, doing good the way that I've shown you, it's hard. You're going to be persecuted. It's going to be really different. But you have Jesus now rising from the dead telling those people and us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't worry about what happens. You can trust me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that last part is something I want to focus on in kind of the closing comments here. But by choosing to follow Jesus, we are part of his kingdom that has invaded this world. Um, We are, as followers, we are meant to be put up on display by Jesus, right? That's what he says. Like, you are the light of the world. Seed on a hill does not, you know, isn't hidden. Um, By attaching ourselves to Jesus and who he is, um, we are saying, I want to bring change into this world. I want to bring healing and restoration into this world, but it's going to look really different. And we need to know that Jesus is still with us in that. What makes us salt and light is not primarily that we stand up for the poor, the weak, the oppressed, the forgotten, the hungry. What makes us the salt and light of the world is our relationship to the one who is salt and light while we bring bread and food to the poor, strength to the weak, freedom to those oppressed, and making visible those who have been forgotten. As we go out loving and forgiving, going the extra mile, we are not calling people to a new moral code. We are calling people to join in, to follow Jesus, and to become like him, and to join us along the way. If what makes us salt and light is choosing to be with Jesus, to be in his presence, then I think we need to cultivate what that means in our lives today. And the obvious kind of thought that came to my mind was prayer. You know, prayer simply is listening and talking with God, right? Listening to and talking with God. And we tend to relegate prayer to, you know, while I'm at home, some people might have what's called a quiet time. And it's not that those things are bad but we tend to relegate times of talking and listening to God to like a 15, 20, 30 hour moment in our day, and then we go live the rest of our day. But if Jesus has said, as you are going, I am with you always, then I wanna ask us and and get us to kind of think about what would it look like if as I am going through my day, I am cultivating an awareness of God's presence with me right now. Um, All of us have different giftings and talents and that kind of stuff. You know, what would it be like as we are grading papers, as we are doing surgery, as we are architecting, as we are programming, as we are studying, as we are talking with classmates, talking with coworkers, being with our family, parenting, what would it be like to be aware of God's presence with us in all of those moments as we are going? If we are asking, God, how do, I, how do I be salt and light right now in these moments? In responding to the issues in our day, I'd like to ask the question, have we lost our saltiness? As a community, one life, have we lost our saltiness? We must remember that the creator God wants to restore this world, and as the Lord, he has chosen how he wants to restore it. So when the situations of of the world or our own hearts try to push us away from being salt and light, 
we can rest in the freedom that God is active as we speak and act in the ways of his kingdom, in the ways that he would act and speak. It's experiencing unjustness, uh, seeing injustice around us. We must not become unjust or we will lose our saltiness. Seeing abuse of power around us, we must not abuse what power we might have or we will lose our saltiness. Jesus is constantly calling us to follow him, even in those moments where we are just angry at what is happening. Jesus is saying, follow me. Don't lose your saltiness. Doesn't mean we don't speak truth and doesn't mean that we're not confrontational, but what does it look like? Don't lose your saltiness. The good news is that Jesus has lived that life before, before us. He lived it perfectly. And he knows the power of the weakness that we feel. Have you ever, I don't know, this is going to be my last comment, but have you ever, uh, any, anyone ever run a marathon? One, two, I don't know. I have not. I've trained. And then sprained my ankle. Um, I mean, that's one example. But think about something where you're running or you're doing something in life, or maybe you're trying to avoid not doing something, like quitting in a marathon race, or it could be something moral, it could be anything, anything you can imagine, something that you are striving to not do or striving to finish, and then there's this moment where you feel like you want to quit. Does anyone know what that feels like? Okay. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus lived in that moment his whole life. Can you imagine that? That is why he is a compassionate and empathetic God. He knows our weakness. So when we are being salt and light, he knows the temptation to lose saltiness. And I want to leave on that kind of note of hope that God understands, but he wants us to know, I am with you. Continue being salty. Continue being light. Continue to be present. Continue to be set up on a hill. I want to shine through you. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up. And so, yeah, I'd like to close us in prayer. And um, if there's anything that you feel like God spoke to you this morning, I'd encourage you to write that down and to take it in consideration in the next few days and kind of think about it. Um, talk to friends about what you th think God has been speaking to you. Um, yeah, so let's pray. God, thank you so much for the good news. The good news that you know that stuff is messed up in our world. You understand the brokenness in our hearts. You, bro you understand the brokenness in, in government. You understand the brokenness in organizations and corporations and society. You know that sin has just messed things up. God, you have come to make things right, to restore all of creation. God, I pray that you would help us, that you would empower us to walk in ways that are salty, walk in ways that portray your light. God, I pray in moments of frustration and anger or despair that, God, you would speak clearly to us.
that you are with us and that you are active with us, that you are speaking, you are acting through us. Help us to not lose hope. Yeah, thanks God, amen.